The scripture this morning comes from Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6, and I'll be reading the NIV version, and that's page 685, if you're using your pew Bibles. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, you have a very important message for the Church of Jesus Christ this morning. I know I can't say all that you would have us to say. You know so much more than I can speak with words. You have a heart that is so much richer and abundant than my heart. You have a wisdom that sees into each one of our lives that can apply this message to each of us as individuals. So, Lord, we desperately need your spirit to take the truth of your word, to meet us, to encourage us, to give us a a new vision of what the Church of Christ is to be. Bring conviction to our own souls of what you would change in each one of us and build a bond between us, Lord, that the world could look in and say how they love one another. If I walked into that church, perhaps I would be loved the same way. Lord, your spirit has to do what No words of a preacher could do this morning. Open our lives, do the surgery on our souls. Take the specks from our eyes. In Christ's name we pray, amen. What what kind of church are we? What kind of church does Jesus Christ want us to be? I had this video played because I imagine it resonates in many, many hearts here today that says that's what we want to be. We want to be a church where people can be authentic, where nobody has to put on any mask, that no one has to feel that that everyone else around me is so perfect. A place where we can walk and not feel that people are looking at us, scrutinizing us, and judging us. I often cite a Barna survey from maybe a decade or so ago, but it asked the unchurched what they thought Christians were all about. And the top answers were Christians are people who bring their Bibles to church and judge other people. That's not the environment that Jesus Christ wants the church to be. And in the passage before us, Christ is trying to cut through that kind of community to give us 
the tools to become the community of love and grace that he has called the church to be. You see, the passage, do not judge, is set against the backdrop of a community that was extremely judgmental. It was a community created by the scribes and the Pharisees. If you'll remember, every time we delve into the passage of the Sermon on the Mount, we need to remember the verse, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were extremely judgmental. We see it in their proclamations about John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist lived a very ascetic life. And they said, he has a demon. Jesus lived a life that was much freer in the spirit. And they say, he's a drunkard, a glutton. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They sat in judgment upon God himself. Jesus talked about him and he said, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. That's how meticulously they were looking into everybody's lives to pronounce judgment. He said, you, you go over land and sea to get one disciple. And when you do, you make him twice the son of hell as you are. Can you imagine the environment? It was a hellish, controlling, judgmental, condemning environment in that day. Jesus is speaking into that. He's calling a new community, followers, disciples of him. And he's saying, you are not to be like that. You are to be a community that comes together in a desire to grow into Christ-likeness, to do it as brothers and sisters in Christ, helping each other on the journey, not condemning, not oppressing, not creating an environment that nobody wants into. And in this passage, we're going to see Four teachings of Jesus that tell us how to relate to one another, how to actually speak into one another's lives so we can be that community. So he first says, do not judge lest you be judged. Now, some people take that, they, they, they stop with that sentence and they say, okay, we are never to make a judgment about another person. Uh, I was on jury duty with a fellow who believed that. He actually cited this verse, and he said, my philosophy in life is that no one should ever make a judgment on anyone else. So if they actually sat me on a jury, no matter what the evidence, I could not come back with a verdict judgment. Uh, guess what? He didn't get seated on the jury. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is, is talking about here. Uh, every word has a field of meaning. If, if you go into a dictionary, a word will, you'll see three, four different meanings. And it's the context which determines the meaning for the sentence it's in. So the word judge 
has three different meanings. One is to judge in a law court. That's the way my jury buddy took it. That's not the case. There's nothing in this entire sermon that gives us a sense Jesus is talking about judges sitting in judgment in a law court. A second meaning is to have discernment and speak that discernment into someone's life. Jesus is not condemning that in this passage because he goes on and he tells us actually how to make discerning judgments in each other's lives. He's going to talk about taking the speck out of the eye of a brother and how you do that. Later he says, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't give what is holy to dogs. And we hear, wow, these are judgments Jesus is making. Clearly, Jesus sits as judge, and he asks us to be his representative in in being discerning and speaking those discerning truths to people. It's the third meaning that Jesus is referring to here, and that is to be judgmental, to have a spirit of judgment on other people. It's the kind of thing that we see Jesus speaking about in a parable, and Luke says, Jesus spoke this parable to people who were self-righteous and looked down upon other people. And then he gives you a taste of the prayer of a Pharisee who goes up and prays about himself and says, Lord, I thank you that you didn't make me like the sinners and the prostitutes or like this tax collector here. But instead, I fast twice a week. I pray regularly to you. That's the kind of judgment Jesus is talking about. Going in and looking down upon people in order to raise yourself up. To be so scrutinizing, you're straining at gnats and you're missing the camel. Uh, Romans chapter 14 talks about it and says... You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For him to judge is to have such a spirit that you are looking down and putting down another person. That's what Christ wants us to avoid. John Stott, I think, captures it perfectly. He talks about it as a centurious person. And he says, The centurious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive toward other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous toward their mistakes. Worse than that, to be censorious is to set oneself up as a censor and so to claim the competence and authority to sit in judgment upon one's fellow men. Actually, to sit in the seat of God in judgment upon one another. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't be a judgmental, condemning person using your judgments to put down people so you can rise yourself up in your own eyes. And now there's another phrase that can be confusing. Do not judge lest you be judged. Now, again, as we read the rest of Scripture, Jesus is not saying here, if you never judge a person, you could do anything you want, and God won't judge you. He's not saying that. 
Neither is he saying, if you are a Christian and you judge a person, you lose your salvation because God is going to now judge you because you judged others. Jesus is speaking very similarly to as in the Lord's Prayer where he says, forgive us, Father, as we have forgiven those against us. And then later it says, if we don't forgive others, the Father doesn't forgive us. He's talking about walking in a fellowship, intimate relationship with God day by day. And if we are judging other people, we show that we are apart from God. We don't have the heart of God. A lot of us look at our relationship with God is simply, you know, it's me and God. And, and, you know, God, I love you. And Jesus says, no, that isn't only what it's about. Your love for me is going to be reflected in your attitude toward one another. So he says in 1 John, if, if you say, I love God, but hate my brother, we lie, the truth is not in us. You see, God created us as a Trinitarian community. And he wants us to relate to him, God the Father, as God the Son does. But he also wants each of us to relate to one another in the same way we relate to God. Loving, honoring. And so if we sit in judgment upon other people, we show we are not connected to God. We are not walking in fellowship with him. So the first insight we need to know to be that community where we can take off our masks with one another and be genuine, not have to be plastic, not put walls around ourselves, is don't be judgmental. Secondly, he says, judge graciously. Verse 2, look at verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. In the measure you use, it will be measured you. As we read that, we quickly get the principle of, let's see, judge others as you would be judged. How do you want to be judged? None of us wants to be judged harshly, condemningly, supercritically. We want to be judged the way God judges us. What is God's judgment? Well, God is patient. Over and over in Scripture, it says God is long-suffering. He is gracious, and he is merciful, and he is slow to anger. We see he waits centuries frustrated with people before he he steps in to do something about it. In fact, Jonah, you know what upset Jonah? Why he fled from God's command and he went the opposite direction? Was because he said, God, I knew you were merciful and slow in judgment and I knew you might forgive these evil Ninevites. And so that's why I went the other way. I hope God's patience with people doesn't frustrate you. I hope you too want to be judged patiently. Give people space and time for making their own self-judgments. We don't have to be 
quick. Why are we quick? There, there's sometimes you, you have to be quick. But there's other times you need to give the Spirit of God time to work in someone's life. Can we give them that space? Or we? It's so critical to us to be judges that we have to step in immediately when it's best for the person to have time. God is also, he's patient in his judgment. He is also allows room for self-judgment. When the soldiers are beating Jesus, he doesn't say, condemn them and say, don't you realize you are beating the Son of God? Don't you realize the evil thing you're doing? There's no reason for you to be beating me. He asks a question. Why are you beating me? He allows room for that self-judgment. For the soldiers to start thinking, yes, why am I doing it? What is motivating me in doing this? He allows a person to interact with scripture. And that person to make a self-judgment when he or she sees that scripture. Do you remember the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks the question, how do you get eternal life? And Jesus says, we keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, I keep all the commandments. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you don't. You lie. You lie to yourself. I know that you love your money more than you love God. That's why you're condemned. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he says, go sell everything. And through that statement, he is allowing this man to make a self-judgment in a realization that this man has broken the first commandment. He loves his money more than he loves God. And he walks away, and Jesus is, Jesus is heartbroken. It says, Jesus looked down on this man with love in his eyes. He knew the man was rejecting him and would reject him, yet he looked with love in his eyes. Is that the way we judge? That's the way we want to be judged. I remember an instance very early in my ministry where a couple was coming to church regularly, getting involved in church, a couple that lived together. They weren't married. They were just living together. And I thought, you know, as a minister... I'm going to have to judge them. I better let, I'm going to let them know the truth. And, you know, I'm the minister of this church. Nobody should be living in sin. And the Spirit of God said, they don't even know who you are other than the man in the pulpit. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to get to know them before I pronounce judgment. And so I went out and I had an incredible dinner with them. We just had the most fun time, and we felt so connected. The next day, I invited them in, sit down. And the Spirit of God said something else. Don't say you're in sin. I just simply opened the scriptures to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and read a verse. Sexual immorality is not the will of God. I closed the Bible, and I said, I understand you're living together. And the guy said, I didn't know that was sin. I never said it was sin. The Bible did, though. He said, I never knew that was sin. I'm moving out this afternoon. I mean, do we have to be the judge to pronounce judgment? Or is God, is the word of God that judgment, the judge, much more sensitively and caring and loving than we are? God, 
gives room for self-judgment first. God is sensitive to each person. See, one of the problems is we don't know everything about God. That everything that God knows about us. God knows every person's heart. He knows every person's journey. He knows every person's sensitivity. And so when he speaks to Nicodemus, he, he knows a Pharisee here, an intellectual. He can, he can confront him directly and say, you got to be born again. But the next chapter, he goes to the Samaritan woman, and he doesn't say, you got to be born again. He says instead, I offer you living water. He approaches her very differently. Do you want to be judged as sensitively as to where you are in your spiritual journey? Or do you want somebody coming in and saying, the perfect Christian does all of this? Or do you simply need to be taken to the next step? Is that the way we judge sensitively to where each person is and their journey with God? God is sympathetic. He is empathetic. Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. The scripture says, God understands everything we are going through. Now, when I understand, really understand what a person's going through and have gone through it before them, that makes me less sensitive. I have to confess that I know that sometimes when a, a, you know, a parent dies in a family, I'm not as compassionate as I should be because I've lived through that. My mother died when I was one. My father died when he was 56. Uh, my grandparents were long dead by that time. I had a brother die. And so I, I said, I know what you're going through. That doesn't make me more compassionate. It makes me like, no, you can make it through too. But that's not Jesus' attitude. Jesus is going through everything we go through, yet didn't sin. But he doesn't sit there and say, now why can't you make it through like I did? It says he sympathizes with us because he knows what we're going through. We want to be judged by a God who knows what we're going through and is tender with what we're going through. Is that the way we speak into one another's lives? That's the way we want to be judged. God is gracious. God sees our sin. And what did he do? He sent his son to die for our sins so we could have a relationship with him. That's how gracious God is. I believe Jesus Christ died for the sins of everybody on the face of this earth. Everyone who ever lived. That, that is applied to our lives when we place our faith in Christ. But that's the graciousness of God. Even those who have not accepted God. Jesus is looking into their lives and saying, I am so ready to forgive you. I've already died for you on the cross. I am that ready to forgive you. Is that the heart we have? Are we so ready to forgive people? That's the way we want to be judged. So, 
If we want to be the community God has us to be, don't be judgmental. Judge graciously as you want to be judged. Thirdly, judge yourself first. We read verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when the whole time you have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus gives an absolutely ridiculous picture here. A plank is gigantic. It can be as large as 40 feet long and 5 feet around. It was used to buttress houses. Uh, So you got this picture of you're walking around with this plank that goes out into the parking lot with your eye, and somehow, and of course it's five feet around or so, and somehow you're going to find the speck in another person's eye. Jesus is clearly trying to get a point across. Do you realize how big your sin is and how much grace you need before you even begin to look at another person's life? Have you taken care of the planks in your life? You know why Jesus has to give this picture? Because we don't get it. Because we are always looking at the specks in everyone else's lives and ignoring those in our own eyes. We are tremendous at living in denial. So what we do It's our modus operandi. Look at others, and somehow if we can judge them, it helps us to feel like I'm spiritual because I'm judging them. I'm pronouncing God's judgments. And God's saying, take care of your own life first. Look into it. Stop denying. There's a couple surveys here that show how natural we are at denying. There was a survey done that was asking people, are you... Better than average or below average? The workers, every worker, are you better than other workers or are you below average? 86% said, I do a better job than other people. 1% said, I'm below average. Business managers, got any business managers? 90% said, I'm a better business manager than the average. College professors. 94% of college professors. I mean, they're the smart ones, right? Okay, 94% of them. It seems the smarter you are, uh, the greater you are in denial. (laughs) I like this one. 76% of husbands said they did as much grocery shopping as their wives. (laughs) 91% of wives said, no. (laughs) And this one, 63% of husbands said they did as much housework as their wives. (laughs) Yep. Shocking how how we can live in denial. Uh, Another one, I've done this before. SAT, students, high school students were asked in their SAT, how are you at athletics? 60% said I'm above average, 6 said they're below. As far as leadership, 70% above average, 
2% below. In assessing their ability to get along with each other, 60% of people said, I'm in the top percent, 10% of getting along. 25% of people said, I'm in the top 1% in my ability to get along. And I love this one is, they had 829 people answering. Guess how many said they were below average? Not one person. Okay, uh, we live in denial. So God has to get this picture. He needs to take the plank and whack us with that, really. So you see the plank in your own eye. Take it out of the way. And you know, the biggest plank usually in our eyes when we're judging others is the spirit and the reason why we're judging them. We often judge them because we need to feel more, we feel need to feel important. We need to feel better about ourselves and we know we're we're not so good. So if I could like put others down, that puts me higher. So if I'm not so good at getting along with others, if I can judge everybody else's getting along with people worse than me, then I'm in the top 1%. Another reason, non-spiritual reason we judge is because we think other Christians expect us to judge. You know, especially as pastors, uh, I imagine there's people saying, you should be judging that person. And we as pastors might say, oh yeah, we better judge because the church expects us to judge other people. We need to get that plank out of our eye. Or we feel, I'm I'm up here like the Pharisee and I can judge you. That means I'm in the seat above you all. Those are planks in our eyes when we judge. There's only one reason we should judge another person. It's because we love that person dearly. Because we want the best for that person. And we really believe God would have a word into that person's life that he wants to use. Not us, but the Spirit of God using in that person's life. We need to take the planks out of our eyes. There's a reason that Paul says in Galatians 6, you who are spiritual speak into one another's lives. When we have planks, we are not spiritual. We should not be speaking into each other's lives till we get the plank out of the way. And then, fourthly, be surgical. Okay? We've got planks in our eyes. They have specks in their eyes. He says... Actually, remove the speck. First, get the plank out of your eye, but then remove the speck from whose eye? Your brother's eye. Who do you want removing the speck from your eye? I think you want an ophthalmologist. And even when the ophthalmologist comes at you, what's your eye going to do as he starts bringing a tweezer toward your eye? You are going to be blinking. You're going to be shutting it. You're going to be backing off. 
When we speak into one another's lives, we need to realize how difficult it is for another person to hear what we're going to say. We need to be ophthalmologists, you who are spiritual. We need to be precise. It isn't if a brother has a speck in the eye, take the eyeball out. Take the speck. And you know what we often do? We see a speck in the eye and we think there's a giant sliver underneath it. We start judging the person's motives and uh, their value system. We say, you can't be following God if you got this speck in your eye. And we can just dig away. Take the speck and only the speck out of the eye. If there's more there, God will show up another speck. Also notice where the sin is. It's in the eye. And the eye is, is that through which you view life. Usually the way to address sin is to address a person's perspective on life. He's already been saying it. Store up your treasures in heaven. Get your heads in heaven instead of on earth. He isn't condemning, you know, you're using your money that way wrongly. You're using your money that way wrongly. You should be using your money this way. He doesn't say that. He says, get your mind in heaven and your use of money will be as it should be. When your mind's in heaven, when you're in love with God, you will pray not to be seen by other men, but you will pray to be intimate with God. You see, change, help people change their perspectives. Give them a divine perspective on life and the other, all the things start to fall into place. Uh, yesterday, as, as we were uh, about to leave our house, we had some friends were walking by with the grand, grandchild. And they were sharing how, yeah, the, the grandchild, their daughter had this baby, and she and her boyfriend are living in their house right now. And we asked the question of ourselves afterwards, you know, I said, why don't they just get married? I mean, if they're this close to each other, if they've had a baby, they're living together in, in the parent's house. I mean, that's basically like a marriage. Why don't they just get married? And the reason is, we as Christians have failed to give a divine perspective of marriage. We don't even have it within the Christian church today. Instead, we say, get married because God doesn't like it if you don't. If you're living together, he doesn't like it, so get We have not given our young people a divine perspective of marriage, a divine perspective of the sexual relationship. See, And so it's the eyes that we so often have to address. We have not given them a divine perspective of how the gospel enters into hearts and changes lives and how when the gospel fills us, the sin that we think is filling us that temptation starts to go away. Take the speck out of the eye of another person. So that's Jesus' teaching on how to be a Christian community relating to one another. The next words he says are about how we are to be that same kind of community in the way we reach out to our world. He says this in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is sacred, 
Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, Very hard words, aren't they? First of all, we need to break through the language that Jesus is using. Because in reality, the meaning of what Jesus is saying here is almost the opposite of the way we take it. We take it as we better be judgmental on the people out there in the world and discern whether they're going to take the gospel or not before we ever bring it to them. It's, it's the opposite. It's saying, are we as sensitive to the world around us when we present the gospel as we are to one another in taking the speck out of the eye of each other? See, we've got to get past the language, dogs and pigs. I mean... In 21st century Western culture, these words are shocking. They certainly would be on the list of things you do not say about another person. You don't call a person dog. You don't call a person pig. We are living in 21st Western culture. That's not the way things were taken in Jesus' day. Gentiles were called dogs. Pigs were those animals which were unclean to the Jews. So this is a way of saying the Gentiles. Again, we might say, boy, this is really, really harsh. And yet, when Jesus speaks to the Canaanite woman and she wants, she wants a healing for her daughter, and Jesus says, uh, do you realize uh, we don't give bread to dogs? The Canaanite woman realized, I'm being called a dog, and her answer wasn't, I thought you were a holy man, how could you call me a dog? Her answer was, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from underneath the table. She understood that term in its context. It's a word we are different from you. And we're, we're in some ways Jesus is saying, I'm going to the Jews first. And she's saying, but if the, but if the Gentile wants what they, you are offering them, would you not give it to them? And Jesus says, yes, I will. Is Jesus harsh and awful using these words? Well, let me look at the life of Jesus. What's underneath these words? A person who is going to die for Jew and Gentile. That's the heart. That's the life of Jesus Christ. So let's get past the words, dogs and pigs, to the real meaning of this passage is, Jesus is using that because that's the common terminology for Gentiles and it fits perfectly the imagery that he's trying to give. If you give a dog a pearl, a pearl is something extremely valuable. In fact, it was more valuable than diamonds in those days. It is something extremely valuable. You are trying to give dogs and pigs something almost without value. You almost couldn't count the value. He's saying, even though you want to give that to them, that's how much you love them, you want to give them all your pearls, you've got to be smart. Because if you give pearls to those who, who are looking for something else, they can't digest these. And they don't see them in pearls, and they see them as an affront because they're wanting you to feed them something else. And so they're going to turn on you. That's the imagery Jesus is giving here. And, and what he's saying is, don't be bringing the Jews, the, the, the gospel to the Gentiles. There's a reason for it. The Gentiles have no context of understanding the gospel. 
The Jews do. The Jews know all about Messiah. They've read Psalm 22. They've read Isaiah 53 and Messiah is going to come and die for our sins. The gospel begins with very harsh words. You are a sinner. Not just that you've done some sin, but you are a sinner at heart. And your heart is deceitful above all else. You have rebelled against God and your sin has caused a gigantic separation between God and you that you cannot golf. Now, a Gentile who doesn't understand a Savior Messiah, you are offering pearls, but they're not pearls. They're not, that person wants something else. They won't understand that, and of course, they're going to turn on you. So what Jesus is saying is, get smart. See, today, Jesus says, go into the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Why? Because there is now a context to understand that gospel. Jesus Christ has lived, he's come, and he has died, and he rose from the dead. So everyone now, through that message of Christ's resurrection, everybody can understand much better that they're being offered pearls. But some people still don't. So Jesus is saying is, are you as sensitive to the unbeliever as you feel called to be to the believer? Do you understand where they're at and how they might react? Where are they at in their spiritual journey? Maybe what you need to do is take them the next step in their spiritual journey rather than, you know, shoving the gospel down their throats. That's one of the reactions of our culture around us. I don't want the gospel shoved down my throat. But most people are willing to be loved by Christians. That's the first step. Love those who don't know Christ so they begin to feel the presence of Christ. Maybe then they're ready for the next step. So instead of this being a commentary on judging those outside the church, it's a call to sensitivity to those outside the church. Let's prepare the ground. Let's preach the gospel to a Nicodemus who has it all, and you say, you've got to be born again. He's ready. But to a Samaritan woman who's an outcast in her own culture and has no, you know, in her own religion is in tension with that of Judaism, Jesus says, I offer you living water. To the philosophers, the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill, Jesus took their own philosophy, their own theology about God and us being children of God, and Paul took that, and he developed that for them. See, these are guys, no, you don't just throw the pearls. You help them, you, you nurture them, you fertilize the ground, you tame the beast, you help them understand the value of pearls. So, Jesus has given us a very high calling. I believe this morning what Jesus said resonates with every one of us. And that we are saying, yes, this is the church we want to be.
The hard part is, how do we become it? We will leave inspired and quickly not live out what Jesus has just called us to do. How do we change? It's got to be the gospel truth coming into our lives in our hearts. You see, to be generous in our judgment, we have to be fully convinced of how generous God is in his judgment toward us. We need to receive the truth of God's forgiveness into the depths of our being, to understand the planks in our lives and how sinful we are, to feel the relief of God's forgiveness so that we are so quick to forgive. To be generous in our judgment means we have to have the generosity of God in our hearts. And when we are generous in our hearts, when we are so filled by the gospel truth that we don't need to build our significance on other people, we have a significance. We have a value in the, from the God of heaven and earth who said, you are so valuable in my eyes. I paid not gold or silver or precious stones. I gave the very blood of Jesus Christ for you. That's how valuable you are to me. When you are so filled with that, you don't have to turn and put others down to feel more valuable. You know, um, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates have given tens of billions of dollars away to charity. How many of you have done that? You can't. You can't be that generous because you don't have it. If you did, maybe every one of us would be that generous. They still have billions left over. How many billions do you need? You see, for us to be generous in our judgment toward one another is we have to know the riches of what Christ has given us, especially in our identity. Are we so filled with how much he loves us, how valuable we are to him, how much he would do for us, that we are, we are billionaires in our hearts. Then we can give billions in generosity and forgiveness to each other. Our Father, we thank you Not only that you give us direction through your words today, but you give us the truth of the gospel through which we can live out these words. Keep this vision, Jesus' vision of the church before our eyes. May we take off our masks and leave the stained glass masquerade behind.